Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Michael McGurr is the author of the best-selling books Things You Get for Free about his trip to Europe with his mother and Bypass the Story of a Road about Australia's main road, the Hume Highway. His latest book is The Lost Art of Sleep and it follows on from Bypass. Michael and his travel companion, now wife, Jenny, have had three children since their journey along the Hume Highway, a boy and twins, and Michael's thoughts now turn to sleep. This book explores sleep and its seeming demise despite its many benefits and the huge role it plays in everyday life. Michael was a member of the Jesuit order for 20 years and a Catholic priest for seven years until 2000. During his time as a Jesuit, he was editor of Australian Catholics and publisher of Eureka Street. Since 2000, he has been a literary editor for Mianjin and a regular columnist and reviewer for the Sydney Morning Herald, The Age and the Canberra Times. Michael, thanks for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Now, sleep. Tell us what inspired you to write about sleep. I started thinking about this topic for several reasons. One was, uh, lo and behold, my wife Jenny and I, we had a 21-month-old little boy and then twins landed on us. So we had three children under the age of two in the house and... Uh, we love these little creatures. The only problem was we wish they would sleep. And we started, well, I started to understand what sleep did in its absence, you know. The uh, lack of sleep was turning me into such a grumpy person. I didn't like the person I was becoming. And, um, but felt so powerless to be my normal self. And, uh, this actually got me thinking, gosh, there must be stuff happening that I never thought about that's really important when when I'm asleep. But there, there was another agenda as well, which is that the book before this uh, was a book about the Hume Highway called Bypass. Mm. And after uh, much thinking about the Hume Highway, and actually Jenny, my wife, and I, we rode push bikes from Sydney to Melbourne to do that book. Mm. But, you know, that is basically a book about restlessness. Five and a half thousand trucks every day up and down the Hume Highway carrying all sorts of stuff. And uh, that road, it never stops. It just pounds day and night. And to the point of the absurd, I can remember one night sitting in truck stop 31 at Goulburn, which is a famous place, travellers will know it. Mm. And actually, I spent the whole day there. And at lunchtime, I met a bloke who was driving a load of eggs from Melbourne to Sydney, and then that night I met a guy who was driving a load of eggs from Sydney to Melbourne, and I thought, what sort of a crazy world is this? Anyway, so I realised that that book about the road was really a book about restlessness, Mm. and so afterwards I was drawn to write a book about rest, Mm. and because the book about sleep is really 
I mean, it deals with all the physical side of sleep, but it also deals with another deeper issue, which is why can't we stop? Mm. Why do you think we can't stop? You know, because uh, I think we are very much formed by the culture we're part of, mm-hmm. and we are part of a culture which insists that we are constantly stimulated and constantly moving. And in the book about sleep, uh, the Lost Art of Sleep, I actually trace that right back, you know, um, at the very, in the very crucible of our culture, there's Homer's great story, The Odyssey. Mm. And that is a book, as I say, about getting home to bed. You know, people who know The Odyssey know that after 20 years of it, of adventures on the high seas and everywhere else, Odysseus returns to his beloved Ithaca and to his wife Penelope, who he hasn't seen for a long time, and to his son Telemachus. But really the epic makes the point that he's getting home to this huge bed that he carved out of the stump of an olive tree in the rocky soil of Ithaca and built his palace around it. And his world is anchored to this place of rest. And there's a very uh, wonderful sensibility in that, which says so much about that, that culture. But then the Roman or Latin culture came along and they told the same story, but it was Virgil's book, The Aeneid, which is almost the opposite. People who know The Aeneid know it's a story about Aeneas, the hero, getting out of bed, leaving Dida to go off and do stuff. Namely, he's got to get off and found the empire, found the city of Rome. And there's this wonderful, wonderful scene uh, as Aeneas is leaving Dido of her burning their bed. And it is so different than the Greek version. It's exactly the opposite. Mm. And the culture we are part of has really gone for this version that let's get out of bed, let's do stuff. And I think we've just become so buzzed up that it's left us, well, it's left us without deeper roots in a way. Mm, mm. And so when you started on this journey of discovering the world of sleep, hopefully you got some as well, but how did you research the book? Where did you start? Because it's such a broad topic. Oh, it is. And in fact, I started off writing a book rather different than this one because I wanted to write a more factual uh, book, and there is there are various facts and information in this book, but there are 80,000 websites that deal with the issue of sleep. Mm. So I very soon decided that the world did not need me to explain the basic information, you know, about the cycles of sleep, about REM sleep, about the causes of insomnia. Mm. There's a lot, and what to do about insomnia. There's other places you can go for that. So I did something which I do reluctantly because I'm a shy person and uh, I don't find it easy to write in a personal way. But I did start with my personal story and that was the story of having the twins and also the story of being a person who has had um, sleep disorders, uh, a couple in particular, sleep apnea, which is very common, and also restless leg syndrome. And... uh, uh, and having been, I suppose, on the receiving end of what uh, medical professionals can offer in terms of help with sleep problems, well, that had given me a lot of food for thought, so I started to unpack that. Mm. But also, um, 
You know, somebody said to me once that I had a mind a bit like a magpie. And what I, I did was uh, just start to bring together all the different things I had read about sleep or thought about sleep. I mean, for example, I've had a lifelong relationship with the works of Charles Dickens. Mm. And Dickens was a famous insomniac. And I think one of the reasons that Dickens was able to create his London so beautifully was that he knew London by night because when he couldn't sleep, and that was a lot of the time, mm. he would get up and just walk the streets. And he would walk the streets between midnight and dawn. He had a place in Covent Garden where he could get coffee and toast about four in the morning. Mm-hmm. And this was a really, this was a kind of intimacy that uh, few writers achieve, you know, and uh, the city was his kind of mistress. That was where he went at night. Did your lack of sleep help you in writing a book, even if it just allowed you the time to sit down and tap away at the keyboard? Yeah, it's... it's um, uh, when we had the little twins, it was... it's The thing about lack of sleep is that it's very hard to do anything particularly creative with the time Mm. because you actually are tired it's just that you can't sleep and this is this is a dreadful uh, conundrum for people to Mm. be in and so I I actually not a person who even if I'm up in the night I'm not a person who can do very much creative at that time I think that's why uh, um, you know television was invented in a way to fill the the dead space Mm. And how did you how did you do it then? If you're you were constantly exhausted, how did you discipline yourself and get yourself into a stage where you could actually write a book? You know, it was the thing about writing is that it's uh, I almost joke and say it's almost like a disease. It's sort of that you can't not do it. And this book found its way into me and out of me. I can't quite describe that, but I would find myself doing, writing a paragraph here and a paragraph there on bits of paper, and then sometimes wondering where I'd put them, which is not a particularly, <laughs> particularly organised approach to life. And uh, and I also wanted to do it because um, we're not we not a family that has got a video camera, and I actually wanted to do this partly as a kind of a photo album for the kids. Because it's got little snapshots of what they were like when they were really little. And uh, as parents know, that time doesn't last very long. Like, it's gone in an instant. And I'm sort of glad I wrote down some of the cute little things they said. And and, um, and I hope, oh, it's sort of at the back of my mind, I do hope that when they're older they might get a laugh out of some of those things too. Mm-mm. Now you've got a very interesting background as a priest. So you were a Catholic priest for seven years till two thousand. What led you to writing? How did that come about? I was always a person who who dealt with the world by writing, mm-hmm. and if I was travelling, I would always keep a diary rather than a camera. Um, and all my life, I kept exercise books, and, and that was. That was really part of my spirituality, which was to pause and just to taste the day rather than just let it rattle past. Mm-hmm. So writing in a personal and reflective way was always part of who I was at that level, I think. Uh, 
And then when I was working as a priest, I was lucky because I got to work on our magazines, and through working on our magazines, I got to work to meet other writers. And a lot of the writer's craft is, and I'm sure the Sydney Writers' Centre knows this very well, a lot of the writer's craft is passed along in casual relationships, friendships, supportive friendships. Sometimes a friendship with a writer can uh, achieve more than doing a course because it's the to and fro and and I was fortunate that I met people and... and, um, and really wanted to tell stories, and it just. And then I was lucky enough that um, to get a contract for my first book, and then it sold well, and um, and it sort of kept going from there. Mm-hmm. But it's very different to because you write columns and for the newspaper, and you write these longer pieces of work yeah. as well. So it's very different doing that sort of thing. Do you have a preference? Yeah, I like a bit of a, I like a long uh, stretch, and I like the chance to uh, I like the, the chance to get into a quieter space and to write a piece over and over a few times until it, it's uh, found the level it needs to find. Sometimes with a column, a column is often the first draft of something that can be a bit deeper later, and it's no surprise to me that people who write columns often do take them further in books, you know, Mm. and, um, uh, yeah, but the column is a, is a necessary start or a diary entry or even a blog. Mm. I mean, people who write blogs, the secret is not to leave it at the blog because the blog is kind of, is, is the rough, the raw ingredients. The writer's craft is not about creating the words. The writer's craft is about the distillation of the words and learning what to leave out. The thing about blogging, I suppose, is that uh, it can get away with you and suddenly you've got hundreds and hundreds of words. But then uh, the difference between a writer and a blogger is that the writer will then go back and find the words that really matter. And sometimes there won't be that many of them. That's a great distinction. Um, apart from columns, you also do book reviews. Now, as yeah. an author yourself, is it? Do you find it difficult to review someone else's writing? Do you have a? What, how does that feel? I find it ha- difficult to be harsh. Mm. I used to do a, a weekly. Uh, for three years, I did a weekly. Uh, I suppose you call it column for the Sydney Morning Herald. And I would do five fiction books a week. So I was really reading a book a day, you know, and writing about it. And I see book reviewing not as judging a book, but as engaging with a book. And I think people who appoint themselves to judge the world, they often miss out on a kind of human empathy or human understanding with what a writer is trying to do. I think a reviewer needs to ask themselves, I always did, now come on, what is this writer trying to do? Mm. And if you've got no rapport with that writer's um, uh, project or hope, then maybe you shouldn't even be reviewing this book. Mm. But then I think, uh, and also I know how damn hard it is to write a book, Mm. I know how hard it is to get a book published. By the time a book does get published... Uh, it's passed through uh, quite a filtration in that um, 
the publishers have taken a risk on it, so it must have something going for it. I think the thing is to try and understand what the writer is trying to achieve and then to say honestly how successful you are. But I don't think a reviewer should go out there all guns blazing to try and shoot somebody down. Mm. It can be very painful, I'm sure, for writers who, um, uh, who who don't get great reviews, particularly from another writer. Yeah, and and especially when the reviewer is reviewing the book that they did not write and never set out to write. Mm. Mm. Now, I read a review on the weekend, which I thought was exactly like that. It was a very negative review, but I am sure, I hadn't read the book, but I am sure that the problem was that the reviewer had expected something different Mm. and therefore was reviewing the book that wasn't written. Yep. Your first two books focus on journeys, that your, your trip to Europe with your mother and your bike ride, very energetic of you, along the Hume Highway. Yes. Are, you, are you a traveller yourself? Is that something that uh, you want to do more of, as in write about your travels? I'd like to uh, do more travel. It's, travel writing is a funny thing because uh, there's not a place in the world that hasn't been visited many times and had many books written about it. So travel writing is, it's a bit, you really need something new to say mm. and often that comes about through the people you meet and the relationships you form along the way because nobody needs really another description of the beauty of the Taj Mahal but perhaps there's a lot to be said about the people who try to make their living, you know, around the Taj Mahal or something like that. So, mm. But sleep is also a kind of journey and... It's a journey we make in spite of ourselves every night. And some of the most important journeys are quite short ones. And um, I know people, I mean, I have um, uh, friends of ours who've been married a long time and they've traveled the world both together and separately. But they say that the most important journey in their marriage was at a time when they the marriage wasn't going so well, they were fighting a lot, they wondered if they should have time apart. Mm. And they were queuing outside a football game, and it was raining, and she said to him, oh, look, will you go back to the car and get the umbrella? And he said yes. And it was only a matter of a couple of hundred yards. Mm. But it was the journey that saved their relationship because... Mm. She realized that he cared enough to get the umbrella. They hadn't been talking much at this stage. Mm. And he realized that he cared enough to do it. And so a journey of 200 yards Mm. meant more in their relationship than their journey to London and back. Beautiful. Um, You obviously have three children, very close in age. You don't sleep. Yes. (laughs) You do. I'm also also a school teacher, which means I spend my days with teenage boys, as it happens. Well, well, how in the world do you fit in writing? Do you have a routine? Is there some kind of trick to how you, you make it all happen? I'm blessed with a very supportive partner. I also bless because I'm a school teacher. Um, this book was written a fair bit in the holidays, mm. uh, but also uh, George Orwell said that a writer writes every day, mm. and I think when you're on a project like this, you've got to keep it moving. 
even if you're only writing a few sentences or doing a little bit of research, it's actually when it stops and grinds to a halt, it's really hard to get it going again. Mm. It, you've got to keep it moving, or I do, even if it's just at a snail's pace. So I would, you know, I would get home at night some nights and, and I'd have marking to do from school, so I'd read these essays. And um, and I, I would feel a bit tuckered out, but I would just uh, I would just do a little bit of something. Mm. Did you find, because that's, I agree, I think you need to keep writing every day and keep the momentum going, but in this case, did you find that it was something that was kind of hanging over your head that you just wanted to get to the end or did you actually enjoy that journey? Once I found the shape of the book, I enjoyed it. There was a time of great anxiety because we moved house twice in writing this book too. And um, the more I think about it, the more it is a wonder that it exists, isn't it? But <laughs> the, um, uh, and, there was a, and also I had sort of uh, been contracted to write this book after the previous one came out so I, I had to do it and there was a time in the middle where I couldn't find my way I was inundated by lots of material because there is so much stuff about sleep mm. I just felt swamped and I just felt crippled by the complexity and the enormity of the task mm. once I found the shape of the book I was able to, and the shape of the book is that it follows a night's sleep. It's a very simple structure, but one that has served me well. So there's little sections. I think it starts at 9 p.m. and then 9.30 p.m., you know, like that through the night. Mm-hmm. Now, once I'd found that shape, it meant that the whole thing could be simplified and I knew what I was I was working with, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a big part for me in nonfiction writing is finding the shape of the story. I mean, that was my, my experience with the book Bypass about the Hume Highway was I didn't know how to structure or shape that story. And again, I had you know mountains of material and mm. uh, all the information you could possibly want about cubic metres of, of concrete and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then hit upon this idea of riding a push bike from Sydney to Melbourne to create a structure for the story. And that sort of helped. Mm, mm. Help to find a way to tell the story is is a big part of the battle for me. Mm. And what's your advice to aspiring writers out there? Um, what do you suggest they do? They're listening to this. People are listening to this, and they want to, um, you know, finally get to the stage where they uh, can combine perhaps their current full time job with writing a book. Um, in the first instance, before they get to write full time, what would your advice be to them? My, uh, oh, it would be old-fashioned advice in that I think the secret of being a writer is to be a generous reader. Mm. And that means to read lots of things and to read them with an open mind and an open heart. And even when something doesn't appeal to you, to to try and be open to the humanity of that writer and to think that here is an individual much like ourselves who is actually trying to communicate something of the human experience. Mm. Of course, we're going to have favourite books, but I think not just to be a reader, but to be a generous reader. Mm. And the other thing is, you know, the old adage to writers is to write about what you know. I don't quite go along with that. Mm. And I think a lot of 
writers start in a place that is overly familiar to them, mm. and therefore they never they have great trouble forming a, a distinctive voice because their voice is the voice of the familiar. Mm. I, I think rather than writing about something you know, it's better to write about something you need to know. And in other words, something that is in you as a question or a, a kind of hunger to find something out and 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 to know something. Oh, sorry, I just got the... That's fine. just got the kids there. Yes, sorry, <laughs> they just came, they just came steaming in. But I'll just... Anyway. Uh, yeah, I think something you need to know and something that you're hunger, hungry to know, mm. it actually provides a kind of energy for the book and an appetite that might not be the case if you just write, if you're just staying within your comfort zone. Mm, mm. So I think you need to be not out of your comfort zone, but at the very margins of your comfort zone. Perfect. Well, we just heard um, in the background some of the reasons why you didn't, <laughs> you didn't, <laughs> you didn't you don't get that. much sleep. That's fine. So I have to ask, how well do you sleep now? <laughs> well, it depends on what night you're asking. Now, last night we had a bit of a disturbed night because our Benny, who is now six, had a bad dream. And he was so frightened by the dream that he couldn't even tell us what it was. And so um, he was a bit sobby and upset. So then we had to get out the inflatable mattress and all this in the small hours of the morning. And this is just life, though, isn't it? And... Um, <laughs> I suppose the thing about having kids and the hardest thing is that is that kind of surrender of control mm. of your of of when you're going to do what and what you're going to do. It's a very deep surrender. It's a beautiful surrender. I love these kids. Mm. But it is a surrender and um and part of the thing is, you know, our entire culture expects us to be in control of our lives mm. and yet uh the deeper part or the, the, the really mysterious and wondrous part is you just don't gain access to it if you insist on staying in control of your life. Right. There, there, there is so much, oh, all the old metaphors about letting go to get into the deep water and all that kind of stuff, there's truth in them, you know. Mm. And, uh, uh, and, um, and that's the thing about sleep. Sleep is something... Like to actually go to sleep, you have to let go mm. and you have to get out of the driver's seat of your life. Your ego has to get out of the way and you have to surrender to an entirely different cognitive process. Mm. And for the time you're asleep, you have to accept that you're not in control of your life. You have to let yourself just slip over that precipice. And um, some people don't find that easy. Mm. I love your description of that, a beautiful surrender. Yeah, it is, it is. And it's got, it's, it's, and it's not unlike being in a relationship in a way, you know, mm. um, in that uh, there's so much, um, I mean, I don't think you can be in an intimate relationship without and still be in control, you know. Mm. I, I think there's, there's, there's a, a fair bit that you have to, uh, I mean, there's wonderful rewards for it. And the main reward is that you get to, bit by bit, you get to lessen the stranglehold or the tyranny of your own ego. Mm. 
Well, on that note, I wish you many good nights sleep. (laughs) And thank you very much for your time today, Michael. Oh, it's a great pleasure. It's been it's really been nice to talk to you. You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au or visit me on my personal website, www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.